بسم الله بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه وله اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته i apologize for the lateness um, so alhamdulillah today we are beginning uh, hadith jazakallah khair hadith number 2 uh, which is hadith known as hadith jibril um, and it's interesting because scholars will say that just as um, uh, surah al-fatiha is called umm al-kitab and the reason why it's called Umm al-Kitab is because Fatiha is a very tight summary of the entire message of the Qur'an, really. In the same way, they call Hadith Jibril Umm al-Sunnah. Because this Hadith Jibril kind of encompasses all aspects of the Sunnah, uh, of a Hadith. And it really, it really is an all-encompassing Hadith that really touches upon every major issue. And uh, Ibn Hajar uh, al-Asqalani, uh, rahimahullah, he says that this Hadith seems to have taken place near the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, near the death of the Prophet ﷺ, and other scholars also agree and say, probably right before the farewell pilgrimage, Hajjatul Wada. Why? Why is that the case? Because this is, when you get near to the end of something, you want to have some sort of a concluding statement that summarizes and brings everything together. And so, oh, you know, repeatedly we're, we're emphasizing the point that this hadith, inshallah, should cover a lot, which is why I'm confident we won't cover it today, uh, because there's a lot to cover, inshallah ta'ala. So we begin with Allah alhamdulillah wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu that Umar this is again the first one was from Umar and this is the second one from Umar radiyallahu anhu baynama nahnu 'inda rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that we were sitting in the company we were with the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that a yawmin one day id tala'a alayna rajulun shadidul bayad shadidul bayad al-thawb shadidus sawad al-sha'r that the prophet that we were Sitting with the Prophet ﷺ, and then Idh is like Mubasharatan. All of a sudden, uh, uh, a man came upon us who had extremely, an extremely white thobe and extremely black hair, very dark hair. And, uh, and let me continue. لا يرى عليه أثر السفر ولا يعرفه منا أحد حتى جلس إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فأسند ركبتيه إلى ركبتيه ووضع كفيه على فخذيه. So, uh, that he, uh, this, this person came in, nobody had ever seen him before. And yeah, nobody knew him. Sorry, first he says, nobody, there were no athar, there were no evidences or traces of travel on him. And, wala ya'rifuhu minna ahadun, nobody knew him. Um, and then he came and sat to, with the Prophet ﷺ, and he touched his knees to the Prophet's knees. And he put his hands on his thighs. So you can imagine this situation. Why is this such an interesting situation? One, because if a newcomer comes to the town, it's not like here where we have flights coming in and out and anybody can travel, no problem. We're talking about living in the desert, right? So if somebody just shows up, then you think, okay, this person must have been traveling for many, many hours. Clearly this person's going to be very disheveled and dirty and dusty and so on and so forth so we can get to know them. But when you look at somebody who looks like they're perfectly clean, you know, everything's looking very fresh, and yet he's not from around here. Well, when did he have time to clean up and look so fresh? And who is this guy, right? And plus, he looks washed up, right? You know, it's like it's as if he's taken a, a shower or a bath, and you know, his hair's all slick and very uh, clean-looking, and his clothes are very clean-looking. Like, who is this guy? Nobody knows him, and it doesn't look like he has any traces of um, of travel on him. And then, furthermore, the confidence. If you don't know, if you don't know anybody in this new town. 
You're going to walk in and kind of be shy and try to get to know one person quietly. You're not going to walk right into the middle of the Mejidis, go right up to the Prophet and sit right in front of him, touch your knees to his knees, and go right in front of him. Everybody's going to be like, what is happening? Who is this guy, right? So there are a few things that we learn from this, uh, uh, just this opening portion of the Hadith. One is the etiquette of a student of knowledge. The etiquettes of a student of knowledge. Now, it's interesting, there are... You find that different commentaries, they kind of go back and forth on this issue. Is this teaching us the etiquette of a teacher? Because we're soon going to learn that Jibreel is actually the teacher of the Prophet right? Or is this him acting as a student and we're supposed to take lessons from his, him as a student? So which one, which one is it? And you find that commentary are on both. Like for example, you know, it's not polite for the student necessarily to impose his, his, himself physically upon the teacher. But it is appropriate for the teacher to get in the space of, of a student, right? So for, you to, for, the, for the teacher to have that comfort, to come right up to the student, and for the student to be respectful and allow the teacher to even invade you know, one's personal space, so to speak, and, and be very imposing, that is having a little bit of humility towards the teacher. So that's one perspective of it. But in terms of the rest, we find that, subhanAllah, these seem to be etiquettes of a student. For instance, clean clothes. You show up to school, Especially, you know, Majlis al-Ilm, you know, you want to show up looking good. You want to look proper. In fact, I could have worn my other thobe, but I said, no, I got to wear the white thobe today. <laughs> so it's very important that, you know, it's an it's a, it's a intensely clean thobe that he was wearing. This is another point that, in fact, the Prophet ﷺ says when it comes to wearing white clothes. إِلْبِسُوا مِن ثِيَابِكُمْ فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ خَيْرِ ثِيَابِكُمْ uh, that the Prophet says, this is an authentic hadith in uh, Sunan Abi Dawood. Wear white clothes. This is a recommendation that you should wear, uh, that you should wear white clothes. Uh, they are from amongst your best garments, and furthermore, you enshroud and bury your dead in them. So, why is it? Well, perhaps many different reasons. White, you know, it shines, it, it's, it's, it's very simple as well. It's not like, you know, very detailed and so on and so forth. It's very simple clothing, but at the same time, it's very beautiful. It's very positive, you know. You see someone, they, 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 it lightens up the mood, it lightens up your day. It's also, when you wear white clothes, you have to be more careful. So it's reminding you to be a careful person, right? If you wear dark clothes, then you, they can get dirty and you won't notice it, right? But when you wear white, you're very particular, you're very careful. And this is kind of like taqwa, having taqwa, always being careful of not falling into haram. So it's a reminder to pay close attention and to not get yourself dirty. And furthermore, it's a reminder of death. And the Prophet specifically links it to death and says, wear white. And don't forget, you wrap your, you wrap your dead, the dead bodies in, in white. So it's as if you're reminding yourself, subhanAllah, this is the way, this is the way I'm going to be dressed when I'm going to be put in the ground. So it's always a reminder. There's many different uh, wisdoms we can possibly take from this. So the fact is, he has clean clothes. He's wearing white clothes. He's got a clean body as well, as indicated by his uh, slick black hair. It seems that he you know, was, was uh, cleaned up and washed up. Um, and also, what, el- what, what else can we learn from the fact that he has black hair? What else can we learn from that? This is, this is, I, I thought it was so... SubhanAllah, you know, some ulama, they spend time paying attention to hadith, and they notice things that's like, wow, that's so, that's so clever that you thought of that. So what can we derive from the fact that he has uh, like intensely black hair? There you go, mashallah, tabarakallah. He's young. He's young. And this is an encouragement for us to study ilm at a younger age. Obviously, if he had white hair or, you know, what's it called? Salt and pepper, you know, a little bit of, little bit of both going on. Then this would indicate that this is an older gentleman. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with being older and studying ilm. But the encouragement is to get involved in studying ilm at a young age. Start early. So this is indicated by that. SubhanAllah, it's very beautiful. 
And then also, of course, very obviously, sit close to the teacher. And this is something very uh, common. You know, it's, 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 it's very obvious when, you know, let's say as the khatib, I stand up, or anybody for that matter, they stand up and they're going to give the talk. And you see some people, they come into the masjid, they walk right to the front. Obviously, you're not allowed to walk over people and be rude and push people. Of course, that's, that's not permissible. But what you can do is if you see an opening spot, you get to that open spot. Some people, they do that and they want to sit as close as possible without being rude or pushing anybody. Other people, they sit way at the back and they lean back and they're so comfortable, right? Now, clearly, Jibreel in this hadith is doing what? He's not leaned back. He's not, you know, obviously it's, it's not comfortable to go right up to somebody. It's, it's much more comfortable to lean against a wall. But, sorry guys, I apologize to the young men. <laughs> but there is, there, there's, so much, there's, so, there's so much that's obvious in one's demeanor as to how uh, they are approaching ilm. There's so many, you know, uh, what's it called, non-verbal cues, right, that you, can, that you can take from just a person's uh, choice of seating arrangement. The fact that you come up and you lean forward and close to your teacher, what does that imply? It implies it's not comfortable, but it's very intensely focused, right? So, subhanAllah, this, it says a lot, you know, there's a lot to learn from just these non-verbal cues and these uh, minor, uh, small choices. Yes. Yes. Then the, the hadith continues. وَقَالَ يَا مُحَمَّدَ أَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِسْلَامِ Oh, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, this is interesting. يَا مُحَمَّدَ This in and of itself, uh, there's a lot of commentary as why, why did he say يَا مُحَمَّدَ? Especially when the Qur'an in Surah Hujarat specifically says, don't call him like you call the rest of you know, other people. Don't, don't just say يَا مُحَمَّدَ, يَا أَحْمَدَ or you know, whatever. Uh, you, you, you can't call the Prophet in that way. He is uh, in the Qur'an. Allah Ta'ala mentions, you know, uh, calls him الرسول, الرسول or النبي, right? So this is the being respectful towards the Prophet ﷺ. Yes, the other anbiya, ya Musa, ya Isa, and so on and so forth, these, these names, you find them. But when it comes to the Prophet ﷺ, it's ayyuhar rasul, ayyuhar nabi, etc. So then that begs the question, well, why is this the exception? Again, instead of being the student, this seems to be the teacher more. This seems to be taking on the role of saying, you know, I can speak to you informally and speak to you in this way. Another, another potential uh, explanation that I thought was also interesting was that he's purposefully trying to get attention. He's purposefully trying to make everybody pay attention because a big lesson is going to be taught. So by walking in, by wearing something very bright and catching everybody's attention, by walking right to the front and saying, Ya Muhammad, everybody's like, whoa, who is this guy, right? So he's purposefully garnering the attention of the entire majlis, of the entire, uh, uh, you know, gathering. Ya Muhammad, akhbirni an al-Islam. Tell me about Islam. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, So the Prophet ﷺ says in response, الْإِسْلَامُ أَن تَشْهَدَ أَن لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That you bear witness that there is no God except Allah. وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ That Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. وَتُقِيمَ الصَّلَةِ That you establish prayer. وَتُؤْتِيَ الزَّكَةِ That you give charity. Or zakah, you know, specifically. We're, we're, we're going to go into the details of all these, inshallah, in the next hadith, which specifically, the, the very next hadith, goes into the details of the five pillars of Islam. So we're going to just kind of go quickly here. وَتَصُومَ رَمَضَان That you fast the month of Ramadan. وَتَحُجَّ الْبَيْتِ And that you make hajj or pilgrimage to the house as in the Kaaba. إِنْ اسْتَطَعْتَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا If you have the capability to do so. قَالَ صَدَقْتَ And he says in response, as in يعني Jibril عليه السلام, he says, you're right, you know, correct. <laughs> and uh, فَقَالَ uh, فَعَجِبْنَا uh, فَعَجِبْنَا لَهُ يَسْأَلُهُ وَيُصَدِّقُهُ And we were just blown away. We were amazed that he's asking him and then confirming. 
Like, that's not how students act, you know? You know, this new guy shows up, tells me about Islam. That seems reasonable. But then he's like, yeah, you're right. What do you mean you're right? <laughs> so do you already know what's going on here? So clearly something is uh, uh, unusual here. And like I said, in terms of these five pillars, we're going to go about them in the next hadith, inshallah. Qala, فَأَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِيمَانِ So, now inform me about iman. What is faith? And this is, it's a loose translation for iman, but we're going to stick with that as a translation, faith. And we're going to see just how uh, detailed this, this term is. Qala, and the Prophet responds, And tu'mina billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawm al-akhiri wa tu'mina bil qadari khayrihi wa sharrihi. He says that you believe in Allah and His angels and His books and His messengers and the Day of Judgment and that you believe in Qadr, uh, divine decree, uh, the good and the bad of it. Uh, and then he says, yes, he affirms it and says, yes, you're right. So these are the six pillars of Iman, being five pillars of Islam, the six pillars of Iman, all being described to really give us a, a solid foundation in our theology, Islamic theology, if you will. So it's a very, very powerful hadith. Now, by the way, do we know why it comes in that order? Does anybody want to guess as to why it comes in that specific order? Allah Ta'ala first, right? Allah is our creator, right? Everything begins with Allah huwa al-awwal. He is the first, right? He is the creator, number one. And then Allah Ta'ala, number two, angels. They existed before us, and plus the angels are the one that what? Jibreel sends the message, sends the, sends, he's, the, uh, he's the angel of wahi, of revelation. So that you believe in Allah as your creator of the universe, and obviously tawhid is the most primal, most uh, fundamental, foundational belief in Islam. So, to, so first you start with Allah, and then the angels, and then wa kutubihi, and his books. Why? Because the angels, what do they deliver? They deliver books. And وَرُسُلِهِ And his messengers. Why the messengers next? Because those angels from Allah Ta'ala, they deliver the wahi, the book, to the messengers. So it's, it's a very beautiful, like you're seeing the whole, the whole layout, if you will. And then we obviously, we can either accept or reject these books and messengers. And then يَوْمَ akhiri, And then obviously we die and then there's judgment day and we are judged. Uh, and that you believe in qadr, khayrihi wa sharrihi. This is like the entirety of it. Allah Ta'ala has knowledge of all things. Now, for the rest of today's dars, uh, inshallah ta'ala, we're just going to be uh, talking about this issue of iman. Like I said, next, next time inshallah, or the next hadith is going to be about Islam and the five pillars specifically, because I don't, you know, instead of just skipping over that hadith, we'll, it's, it will dedicate that class entirely for that subject. But now, since we're talking about iman, let's go into detail about this issue, because there's a lot to talk about. And specifically I say this because the, the, the concept of iman is something that has lots of um, confusion around it, when you get into the details, that is. Most people, I mean, you'd say, well, Iman, faith, you know, it's like straightforward. But when you actually get into the nitty-gritty of it, you'll find that, subhanAllah, throughout history, there's been lots of confusion, so we should uh, uh, clarify. Now, Iman, interestingly enough, there's different levels of Iman, specific, specifically with uh, different, for example, uh, creation. For example, the, na the, 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 the natural Iman of the angels is matbu'ah, it is, it is natural. It is, it's not something that they need to work on or improve on. They naturally have iman. Then the anbiya, they have ma'asum. It's, ma'asum means protected or perfected. In other words, they have iman that is guarded and protected. It is similar to perfect, but subhanAllah, it is uh, protected so that if anything, if any slip they have, Allah Ta'ala, you know, uh, fixes it. And obviously their slips are even, even to call it a slip is so minor and so small in comparison to the type of mistakes we make. But even then they're protected, Allah Ta'ala corrects them immediately. 
Then the believers, the mu'mineen, they have maqbul, that which is accepted. Iman, which is maqbul, it's accepted. Then there's mawquf, which is stopped. And this is the people of bid'ah. When people believe in Allah, but then they distort the religion, you could say that their iman is mawquf. It has been, it's yes, you have certain correct beliefs, but at the same time you've distorted it, and therefore uh, it is mawquf. And then the, finally, the hypocrites and those who lie and just completely fabricate their belief, it is called mardud, which is rejected. So this is one way of categorizing iman. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. The correct view of iman is what? Al-imanu qawlun bil-lisan, wa tasdiqun bil-qalb, wa amalun bil-jawarih. This is a very, very, very important concept. And I'm sure there are certain aspects of this that some of us don't fully comprehend. And hopefully by the end of this, we will fully get the picture. That iman is something that is qawlun bil-lisan. It is a statement of the tongue. In other words, yes, you testify. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. But beyond that, wa tasdiqun bil-qalb. You can't say it with your tongue and disbelieve it in your heart and reject it. Obviously, that's called what? Nifaq. Nifaq. It's called hypocrisy. But then finally, وَعَمَلٌ بِالْجَوَارِحِ And you have to act upon it as well. So we, as, you know, uh, well, you could say, I mean, there's lots of terms for it. You could say, أَهْلَ السُنُ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ You could say, uh, anyway, different terms. But I would just say Muslim. Uh, you know, I, I personally, I, I try to stay away from these, these type of labels and terms. I say the correct Islamic perspective, the orthodox, if you will, if you want to use these terms. Even that term is problematic for certain reasons. But anyway, the original, authentic Islamic perspective seems to be, based on the Qur'an and Sunnah, which we'll get into in detail, inshallah, is that it is not simply enough to say or, or to have faith. Having faith, just in and of itself, like, I believe. I believe in God. I have Iman. Is that sufficient? No. It is what? It is a statement of the tongue. It is a belief of the heart and an acceptance of, of it in the heart, as well as actions on the limbs, as in living by it. Now, let's get into more details, because this is where things get a little bit... You could say, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but you know, this is where confusion arises. There's been many, many different groups throughout history that have uh, uh, had various beliefs about iman, about faith. So for example, the Karamiyyah were a group, a small sect, that said, look, all you have to do is state it. As long as you say, la ilaha illallah, then you're going to Jannah. Now they're clearly wrong because of all of the ayat about the munafiqeen. Every time Allah Ta'ala talks about the hypocrites, is saying, Allah is just demonstrating that these people, they say one thing with their mouths, but deep in their hearts, there's nothing there. So that's clearly 